This is Contact Mike. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Doe. It's October. It's a podcast about the things that make us human. Moments of change, indecision and, well, well, contact. Contact. Contact Mike is a monthly podcast by Sarah Walker. And Fleur Kilpatrick. So those are uh, extra nipples that you have grown? It's produced by Kieran Ruffles. It's the 750th time I've blinked today. Yeah. I'm really, really over it. And it's going to start. It's going to start. Now. now. Chapter 1. This month in your world, the first female presidential candidate in Somalia declared, If loving my land means I will die, so be it. Padumo Dayib was illiterate until the age of 14 and now holds multiple degrees in international public health, including one from Harvard, and is working for her doctorate in Helsinki. She's set up maternal health clinics in Somalia and HIV prevention offices in Fiji and Libya. She is amazing. And she won't win. But that she is running is truly incredible. This month, a boy painted a picture of his family, including a tiny squiggle inside his mother's tummy. And a 42-year-old actor named Amanda went to an audition without makeup on for the first time. She said, no biggie considering world poverty, but in an industry focused on looks and more plastic fantastic than ever, it felt big. This month in your world, a family quietly took down the missing posters from around their neighbourhood. And a father gave up his battle to stay in America, where he has lived for 38 of his 41 years. Adam Crasper is being deported to South Korea, where he was adopted from as a three-year-old. His adoptive parents never filed citizenship papers for him, and now, with a criminal record, Adam has to go. He remembers being whipped and made to sit in a dark basement as punishment by his American parents, who, after three years, decided they didn't want the two Korean children they had adopted. Adam entered the foster system where he was met with more abuse. His nose was broken and his mouth taped shut by people who were meant to care for him. This month, Adam released a statement. I want to be here. I want to stay here. All I want to do is be the best American I can be. I don't want to be this broken, screwed up guy. Just don't take me out of the United States. Chapter 2. Because it's audio, I might just get you to explain to people what this noise is that they can hear. <laughs> biscuit. So that's the that's yeah that's the noise of me thumping my chest biscuit, which I do hundreds of times a day. Are you bruised? My chest bruised really badly for the first sort of three months of that tick biscuit, um, and it was getting to a point where the the doctor was giving me dressings because they were worrying about the skin degrading on on my chest, and then it just stopped bruising and it got over itself, <laughs> and I've now got a nice smooth lump, and it's tough and it doesn't hurt and it doesn't bruise biscuit um, my knuckles are actually the weak link in that chain and they're total wimps so I wear padded padded gloves to stop them getting cracked and bloody um, biscuit but my chest uh, my chest is 
nice and hard now. <laughs> You're so ready to be a boxer. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Because, although I'm unpredictable in terms of hitting a target. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that may be an advantage in the boxing ring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, wouldn't know, get, they wouldn't be able to predict you. <laughs> I'd probably, yeah, there's a good chance that I'd end up knocking myself out. <laughs> Today's episode will sound a little different. Uh, biscuit, cats, hedgehog, beans. Jess has Tourette's. Her friend and collaborator, Matt, whom her tics have named left-wing idiot, once estimated that Jess says the word biscuit 16,000 times a day. That was a while ago. Since then, Jess says she's become a bit more hedgehoggy and a bit less biscuity, but you'll still hear a lot of biscuits. Kieran and I saw Jess's Melbourne festival show backstage in Biscuitland. As soon as the show ended, I said to Kieran, I want to interview her. I had my regular spot on 3RRR the next morning, so when I found out that she would be on the radio just before me, I did some low-level stalking, meaning I actually rocked up early for my spot instead of my usual dash straight from tram to microphone. By the time Jess went on air, cards had been exchanged. That morning, I was in my car listening to Jess's interview with my mouth open when Fleur texted me to say that she'd organise the interview. Go team! So I've always been neurodiverse, um, Biscuit, um, and so as a five-year-old, I was quite chaotic, Biscuit. Um, I was very active. Um, Biscuit is hard to identify ticks um, at a younger age for me, Biscuit, because I was quite a whirlwind of movement and noise anyway, Biscuit. <laughs> so picking out ticks from that would have been uh, a challenge, Biscuit. But the first six is the first time I remember Biscuit making noises, Biscuit, that I couldn't explain, that I couldn't stop. And that uh, Biscuit is the first time I remember feeling uncomfortable about my body the earliest things I can identify biscuit as a tick was a a simple squeaky noise I definitely remember being told uh, to not do it biscuit and to not do it or somebody would think there was something wrong with you Um, biscuit but in my mind I made up all sorts of reasons like I was bad or evil and it's like that was much worse than the reality Jess's high school career was not as distressing as you might have imagined She was already getting support for various learning disabilities, so most teachers handled her tics with grace. When I was um, just started high school, and I was in the gym with my class, and there were a load of basketballs, and we all had basketballs, and we were told to put them down on the floor while the teacher was speaking. And instead of putting mine on the floor, I threw it, and it hit him in the face. And I was ordered out of the gym, and I was totally gutted and humiliated. I had no idea why I'd done that. But when I explained to him that I hadn't intended to do it, and I didn't know why I'd done it, and that I hadn't meant to do it, he totally accepted that answer which even at the time I was very grateful for Biscuit and certainly as an adult I understand that for for a teacher Biscuit to have something happen that is that breaks a real rule and Biscuit is potentially quite embarrassing for him and to understand and accept my explanation that that hadn't been intentional was big. So what is that feeling that makes you throw a ball in a teacher's face? So Biscuit Lots of times people uh, people don't think about the sensation of ticks. Biscuit, they can see ticks and they can hear ticks. Biscuit, but the feeling of a tick is something that I think lots of people without the condition don't necessarily think about. It, it will feel different to each person with Tourette's. Biscuit, for me, it can feel like an itch or a pressure. I sometimes describe it as like someone's put itching powder in my blood and you have to move in order to, to try and be comfortable or find a comfortable space. Biscuit, hedgehog, cat. 
Jess wasn't diagnosed until the end of high school. The swearing myth also delayed diagnosis for me because I didn't have um, coparalia, which is the technical name for obscene tics. Um, Fat biscuit um, at that point, biscuit. And therefore I thought, oh, you know, biscuit, it can't be Tourette's because I don't swear. By the time she was finally diagnosed, it was a relief. It helped her access support, knowledge, and more importantly, it helped her explain to those around her what was happening. What that diagnosis gave me was just the word Tourette's biscuit. It doesn't, that, that was it. It's like, that, like, that's what I needed. I needed to be able to say, um, I'm move and make noise because I have Tourette's syndrome. Before, it was very hard to explain them, the why I was twitchy or why I found it difficult to to sit still biscuit and so I would restrict my life in response to that so I wouldn't stay places very long or I'd be worried about seeing people who I hadn't seen for a little while in case they noticed the difference in my tics or I try and sit on my um, biscuit arms or legs to give myself pins and needles just to feel a different sensation in my body. There are a lot of presumptions about Tourette's. The swearing stereotype is up there with the stereotype of schizophrenia as a sort of Gollum Smeagol-esque split personality gimmick. And when it comes to illness and disorders, presumptions can have a massive impact on the well-being of people living with these conditions. That myth and that stereotype and the repeated portrayal of Tourette's as the swearing disease is really damaging because it does get in the way of people getting the help and support that they need. And families being disbelieved or people being disbelieved. If you say to someone, um, you know, I've got, I've got Tourette's syndrome and they're like, oh, well, I've never heard, heard him swear. It's a really uncomfortable way to start any conversation about making sure that people have what they need in any situation there's so many people on youtube who pretend to have Tourette's uh, but getting actually one of the motivating factors for for creating Tourette's Zero was um i watched a video that had almost 30 million views biscuit of someone pretending to have Tourette's and swearing biscuit and i just thought i watched it and i thought oh my god everybody watching this video biscuit is being short changed the reality of life with Tourette's is much funnier than this <laughs> I can't remember a time where I haven't laughed at you know doing things in a different way biscuit I think uh, I haven't always found that biscuit easy to be open about or share biscuit but laughter has been an incredibly important tool for me in managing challenges from when I was when I was young I understand myself as a, as a disabled person biscuit using the social model of disability which is um, a concept for thinking about disability that says that people aren't disabled by their impairments so the things that make them different biscuit but by a collective failure to consider difference in how society is organized biscuit so it's not my body or my tics that disable me biscuit but non-accessible environments or structures or attitudes biscuit um, biscuit hedgehog biscuit the exciting thing about that is um, if we change those structures, if we consider difference in how things we set things up, then we can make people less disabled. Jess experiences the effects of social disability pretty regularly. One of the big challenges of living with a condition like Tourette's is its unpredictability, Biscuit, but even more so is the unpredictable reactions. Biscuit, I understand, Biscuit, that if you haven't seen ticks before, they can look unusual and people want to look or might have questions. Biscuit, um, I think times when I found that most difficult, Biscuit, um, have been times where I've explained that I've had Tourette's, Biscuit, and people haven't listened, particularly um, people in positions of authority, Biscuit, and I've had several experiences with people who are operating 
fighting transport systems, biscuit or um, or the police, um, where they've pulled me up because my behaviour looks different, biscuit. I then explain that I have Tourette's, biscuit, and they then haven't felt able to back down or change in response to that information. So like I've had police officers say things like, that's fine, but you can't behave like that here. And it's like, well, like that's like, that's not a choice. So I, you're saying that I can't be here. Biscuit, um, or biscuit, I, I had a difficult experience on the London Underground, on the, on the um, tra- you know, underground train network there, biscuit, where my ticket hadn't worked to get out of the station and I approached a member of staff asking for help to get out biscuit and he turned away from me biscuit and so I approached him again I explained that I have Tourette's and he refused to help me until I stopped making noise and stopped swearing biscuit I explained again that I had Tourette's biscuit and again he walked away from me and I was left biscuit on this concourse unable to get out and again I I cried and I just shouted biscuit into the into the the station concourse this man like I'm stuck here and this man isn't helping me and I was crying and a woman came over and helped to mediate that biscuit but he it was that was a really difficult moment for me biscuit because it was it was threatening my independence it's like I I can't feel safe I feel at risk because people are ready to make judgments but they're not ready to listen I mean, I'm rubbish at suppressing dicks. Biscuit. Uh, at times in my life, I have had more ability um, to suppress than I have now. Um, biscuit, and um, I used to try and save them up or, and let them out in the toilet. Lots of people with Tourette's traps try and disguise them, or I've heard children talk about dropping things on the floor so they can go under the table to tick under the table. Biscuit. All of those strategies and effort and energy, biscuit, takes a lot of thought and time and all of that is then when you're not focusing on school biscuit or art or enjoyment or friends or family biscuit and I think it's much better that we try and create spaces where everyone has permission to be themselves and can feel safe to be themselves whoever that might be whether and that goes way beyond just thinking about ticks but the ability to suppress is very individual some people can do it for a long time biscuit but the that that can have a negative impact on people's well-being. What's your relationship with your body like today? Uh, biscuit, um, I'm pretty. Um, I mean, biscuit, I'm pretty happy with it. Biscuit, I feel confident in it. I biscuit um, mostly understand how it works. Biscuit, it likes to surprise me. Biscuit, <laughs> um, biscuit, Tourette's um, is a you know it's a condition that goes up and down in the course of someone's life. It's not it's not all downhill, but it is it is a it's a bit of a roller coaster. Biscuit, and sometimes you just get used to one set of ticks, and another set will present themselves. And that can be a real shock biscuit and it can be really difficult for people around you to to uh, to understand and adapt to those changes too um biscuit hedgehog but i yeah i feel very happy in myself and in my skin and in my body biscuit most of the time biscuit i'm um, biscuit i'm actually ha- like biscuit in the last few days i've been extra wiggly biscuit and i've had many more vocal, uh, motor ticks than perhaps i have had in recent months and that's been that's been a new challenge for me and i've had to almost relearn certain things that had become quite routine so like how i transfer on and off the toilet was like ah, oh, this needs a bit of a rethink mm-hmm. <laughs> um biscuit and i think for me biscuit the 
the one the thing that I hold on to with all of that is that I, I there hasn't been a tick that I can think about or a situation that has a, that I haven't been able to come overcome with a bit of creative thinking and planning and thought and discussion biscuit and I've got lots of people I can draw on for that uh, biscuit and so for me when there's any tick or challenge it's not about saying what's this stopping me from doing but what can we do to limit the impact of this or make something possible one of the ideas that really shifted my thinking was uh, Biscuit um, reading something written by another disabled comedian, Biscuit, and connecting with the idea, Biscuit, that independence, Biscuit, doesn't have to mean doing everything for yourself. It doesn't have to mean making your own cup of tea. Biscuit, because that doesn't work great for me. <laughs> independence is about being in control of your decisions uh, and your choices, Biscuit, and asking for help when you need it is part of being independent. Over the years, Jess's relationship to Tourette's has changed. Today, Tourette's is an enormous source of creativity in her life. And I used to find it really difficult to talk about Tourette's without tears. Biscuit, hedgehog, biscuit. Uh, but then I had a conversation with my friend Matthew, biscuit, in which he described Tourette's as a crazy language generating machine, biscuit, um, and told me that not doing something creative with my tics would be wasteful, biscuit. And we'd had loads of conversations about Tourette's and about creativity before, biscuit, but for some reason I was able to hear that sentence in a different way than I'd heard everything else before, and it pierced my consciousness and enabled me to connect and start actually thinking about what I could do that would be to utilise this source of spontaneous creativity that I have access to. Together, Jess and Matthew founded Tourette's Hero. Tourette's Hero celebrates the creativity and humour of Tourette's. They say it's not about mocking or commiserating, rather they aim to reclaim the most frequently misunderstood syndrome on the planet. To change the world one tick at a time. Not only do they perform their beautiful show around the world, but they encourage people to respond artistically to Jess's ticks, which they share online. As we record this, the image of the week featured on their website is a gorgeous illustration of the tick Keep Up the Good Work, Sun, Sun spelt S U N, and you'll get a sticker. There, bobbing in the sidebar, is the sun, floating in space with a sticker that reads, I'm a star. I wonder if you remember um, the first time you met another Tourette's person yeah. that actually used that word. Um, it was at a very boring annual general meeting, biscuit for the Tourette's Syndrome Association in the UK. You know, general meeting like it was. It was always going to be a boring meeting. It was like that's always about business, the business of the charity or the organisation, biscuit. But there was another woman there who was of a similar age to me, and had similar ticks to me her ticks weren't physically similar to me they were very different she was she was shouting bomb loudly and um uh and shut up um, <laughs> um but the intensity of her ticks and their expression looked really familiar to me biscuit and i remember just wanting to stare at her biscuit really curious about what ticks looks like from the outside um biscuit and we are really close friends over a decade later and spend a lot of time with each other biscuit and have had some incredible adventures and really funny conversations and you know ticks bounce off each other in really interesting ways biscuit um i'd been so reluctant to go to that meeting biscuit i've been so reluctant to meet other people with tourettes and i have no real idea or explanation for for why i'd felt like that biscuit 
I think it was not wanting to think about or confront something that felt difficult to me or felt frightening to me. And I think fear and the barriers that that can create in our lives is really interesting and particularly in relation to disability. But as my tics intensified, I could feel that fear forming barriers in my life. Fear of me by other people. So was I dangerous or drunk? Biscuit, my fear of their unpredictable reactions. And I think that's something that particularly in relation to disability happens a lot. People are frightened, they're worried about getting things wrong or so they don't start to make a change. Um, it's easy to think that making spaces inclusive or making things accessible is someone else's responsibility. Actually, we need to break through that fear, start having discussions and conversations um, and understand that Biscuit, creating an inclusive world is all of our responsibilities. Biscuit. Chapter 3 Talking to Jess really made me think about how you know how much all of our behavior is a mix of voluntary and involuntary behavior. You know, we don't think about the way in which um, our emotions play out on our face. We don't think about the way that we adjust our posture when we sit. It made me really feel like that, that that's there for all of us and but, you know, us neurotypical types, we, we get to be default. Our, our involuntary movements get to be normal and not, not a thing and not weird and not pathological. I remember this day when I was doing my postgrad in directing um, and we were doing sort of an aesthetics class and there was this moment where the teacher turned around and just said to me and a couple of other people, just stay exactly as you are. And we all froze and she was just like, just look how weird they are. Just look how they are holding their bodies. No one just stands, just feet on the ground, hips square, hands straight. And yet we keep putting bodies on stage that do that. And yet until you actually freeze that moment and look at it, you're just like, oh yeah, that's just a bunch of people watching something. Mm. There's just so much we don't know about the body, like Mm. be it be it something like Tourette's, a neurological disorder, or be it just like how our hormones affect us on a daily basis. My favorite thing about what hormones can do to the body is they did this study on women where they were doing word recognition and it was basically the reaction time to a stimulus that was either word or not a word. And they measured them like at different points in their hormonal cycle and they found the reaction times were faster when they were experiencing peak, the peak of estrogen. And not only that, but like um, they were able to work out from this that the, their brains had been reorganized by the estrogen such that the language center was no longer localized on the left side of the brain. It was equally shared between the left and right side of the brain. And so like they, I was like, this is, this is awesome. Like yeah. this, like a really complicated part of our cognition language. And it just gets taken apart and reassembled in in another location um and um the the great thing about this was like that the overall reaction time gets faster Mm. so i I was like this this could explain pms it's like you're just smarter than everyone because you're thinking faster than everyone it's everyone's really annoying like and slow it's like come on get with the program i think it's amazing all of this involuntary stuff because i think what it shows us is that we're not these souls walking about in flesh carcasses 
I think in this day and age, we're very invested in our own individuality and in our decision-making processes and just in the whole concept of us as as being driven by our soul or our brain or wherever you choose to put that source of motivation. Mm. Things like that, things like our hormones dictating this weird shit about not only us but how the world perceives us, mm. it really shakes up our idea of of who we are and how we control our world. I think for a very long time, uh, the dominant approach in philosophy was that we are a mind that drives the car that is our body. And I think increasingly we're starting to realise that the mind and the body are extremely interrelated, not just in the same space, but that each affects the other so profoundly. On a totally different track, your reaction to Jess's show, Fleur, was you were quite staggered by being confronted with the idea that theatre is not an incredibly welcoming place for all people. I think as an artist we like to think that we are the best of people, (laughs) that we are greener and more conscious of what's going on around us and are generous and try hard and accept others. And actually art has a lot of rules and how you're meant to experience it has a lot of rules. And that was... I did find that really painful to be reminded of. When I was watching the show, it was a relaxed performance, so you you were very welcome to make noise, you were very welcome to move about if you needed to. Towards the end of the show, there was some commotion in the back row, and my media, I immediately went into that, ah, oh, like, come on, show some respect to the performance mode. And then I was like, ah, oh, no, it's just someone doing exactly what the purpose of the performance is. To, they're making a bit of noise, and it's fine. And I felt really kind of ashamed of myself for being so... From putting on the, the, the hat and being like, um, you're interfering with my enjoyment of the show. <laughs> just just talking about the idea of the social model of disability, that you are not disabled, society disables you, really blew my mind because I'd never mm. really thought about it in that exact framing before, that if we had a more elegantly structured society, no one would be disabled. People would just be able to get along in the way that they were best able to. Yeah, there are ways in which the world compensates for all of us mm. and we don't we don't have to think about it all the time. There's an artist I know in Adelaide who um, is disabled and I at one point I lent him $50 and I was working in Adelaide so he came to my work which was at the Garden of Unearthly Delights during Fringe and I knew he was coming that day and I was waiting for a call or for him to come to the box office that I was in and eventually I got radioed and someone said... Uh, There's a guy who was at the front gate who says he knows you. Can you go there because the security won't let him in? And I went there and and the security guard came over and said, Do you do you know this guy? And and I was like, Yeah, I yeah, I do. This is this is Kim, he's an artist, he's got an artist pass. And I didn't say more than that, and I should have. Because he was very clearly not drunk, not on drugs. He was very clearly working with a disability. The thing that really struck me in that moment was how accepting he was of that. He was just like, yeah, they won't let me in, but here's your money. And, you know, he's 50, he's been coping with this his entire life. He is from a generation where his mother was told to give him up. There's no hope, put him in state care forget that ever happened to you and yeah it just really struck me that this 50 year old man has just become accustomed to being told no and being told Mm. I don't trust you Mm. I I so hope we get to a point where society is informed enough and welcoming enough of neurodiversity that it's not it's not those conversations don't have have to happen anymore I was I was reading this really interesting thing on the internet the other day 
which said that so uh, autism in children usually manifests at the ages of about four or five and this article was saying that children in like the 1700s parents would often describe their children having been taken away by the fairies they were normal and then one day they came back and they were different and they all of a sudden were fae they weren't they weren't responding to being spoken to they stopped talking and parents would be like my child has been taken and changed by the fairies or vaccinated or vaccinated and yeah now we you know like this is around the age that children start uh, displaying like the, the traits of autism and so yeah this this article was looking back and being like ah there's so many descriptions like this that we can be like oh you just you had an autistic child and like St. Vitus's dance like maybe maybe you had Tourette's your body was moving in ways that you didn't understand like you weren't possessed by the devil as it turns out the amount of good that a proper diagnosis can do mm. to take people away from thinking that it's a moral failing or, or an mm. ethical failing or, or an, an internal spiritual failing of their own mm. um, the more you can move people away from that idea mm. um, yeah by whatever means it's amazing what a modern thing it is though for this idea that people can be ill or hurt or sad or injured without it being someone's fault mm. that's still pretty new for a lot of societies and communities because there was always there was someone to blame be it the family be it be it the neighborhood witch be mm. it yeah like this idea that like syphilis was because your mother had done something wrong well then before you were born or you know, yeah, you're like you were. Someone was paying the price for a sin somewhere, somehow. And what a shitty thing to have to cope with—not only syphilis, but also <laughs> this guilt, yeah, 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 and this trauma and this distress of it being because you were bad. Contact Mike is a monthly podcast about people by Flo Kilpatrick and Sarah Walker, produced by Kieran Ruffles. You can find us at contactmikepodcast.com. We would love it if you followed us on social media and reviewed us on iTunes. This has been Contact Mike. This episode, this episode ends, ends now. now. Oh. <laughs> oh my god, they're so good.